Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. I would love for you guys to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, I know we covered a lot there, so I appreciate you guys being patient. It can kind of bounce all over the place. But I think what you hear, and I want to just put this to you guys, the measure of our church, the measure um, the, the thing that lets us know things are happening, the things that lets us know that, uh, that our vision and our hope is actually occurring is that we're hearing stories of Jesus. Uh, we could put it on attendance, we could put it on finances, we could put it on a whole lot of other things, but the reality is, is that the greatest measure that we, people are seeing Jesus like never before is that we're hearing stories of Jesus. And, and so every week, this is the goal. So really what you're hearing, when Steve gets up here and goes, we only had to spend one day searching for a temporary location, that's a story of Jesus, because I've had to search for temporary, and it ain't that easy. Um, I mean, within a day of finding out, the offer was not going to go through here, and terms had changed, and everything had kind of gone, oh, okay. Uh, we knew that there was a very strong possibility of the Austrian, which is such a beautiful thing. And then you hear stories of Heather and what, what, what we've meant to her and what really ultimately what she's meant to us uh, more so. And, and so I just I want to continue to tell you, share the stories. There's an amazing story, and this is not my message, so don't count this against the 10 minutes. But there's a story where four men carry a, a lame man on a mat. You've all, you, if you've ever been in church, you've heard this story because it's the one that preachers preach when they haven't prepared a message. Um, so they jump out there and go, oh, I got a good one. Yeah, we've heard this one. You preached it three weeks ago. You need to start studying more. And so uh, they get up and they put him down. And, and, then, and, then, and then Jesus says something I'm still wrestling with, which was uh, you, your faith has made him well, which is I'm still wrestling with that one. And then, and, then they, and then he gets up and he runs out of the house. And there's this really interesting detail because at the beginning of the story, it says it was too full for anyone to go in the house. And then at the end of the story, the people who are most impressed by what happened in the man's life was not the people in the house, but the people outside the house. They watched the lame man get lowered into the house, and they watched that same man run out of the house. And so I want to tell you something. That's, that is the measure of our church. It, what happens when people get lowered into this place, in the, the darkest places of their lives, most difficult places in their lives, and they run out of this place? It, the praise reports, the stories of Jesus should happen on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday. And so I love hearing what we shared. I know it's a lot. I know we've thrown you uh, all over the place today, uh, but I think you guys are good and can handle it. We do have dinner parties coming up really soon, so I'm excited about that. Uh, I believe they'll start the week, the, the Wednesday after our first Sunday at Austrium, September 15th. Uh, we do have a new wrinkle we'll talk about next week, which should expand uh, the opportunities for you guys to get around the table. For us, growing the table is the primary goal, growing the table. Um, Jesus reached people by eating and drinking. He had a certain message and a certain method. And sometimes we make this the only way people hear about Jesus, and I just find that to be incredibly limiting. And no matter how big a church gets, there are still a whole lot more people outside of it that haven't heard about Jesus. And so I, I just want to encourage you here that the table is one of the most spiritual activities you could ever partake in. It is such an incredible opportunity. Don't ever think that sitting at a table, enjoying the presence of others, finding unity and sharing your story, and, and maybe, hey, maybe just talking about Jesus um, can bring so much life and so much joy and so much hope. And we need bigger tables with a lot more people at it in our current culture. Amen?
All right. All right, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. You may already have done that. I'm going to read through kind of the, the text that we've been reading through over the last uh, several uh, weeks. I've been really enjoying it. Hopefully you have been enjoying it. It's out of Matthew chapter 16. Uh, you see this in a couple other Gospels. This is the fullest account that we have of it. It says this in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, Philippi I, sorry, it's not, that's not how you say it. But I can't get it in my head, and I just keep saying it wrong every week, and I'm okay with it. Um, are you guys okay with it? Okay, cool. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Which he's already giving them a hint as to who he is. But he is not concerned with what people think of him. He's concerned that his disciples know what people think of him. I think it's important that you get the distinction. Jesus is not having an identity crisis here. What he's trying to get across here is that you as the disciples, you as the ones who are going to carry on my message, should have some inclination as to who people say that I am. So often the church is preaching about something or answering questions that aren't being asked. And the only way we can be relevant, the only way we can, that's not our highest goal, but the only way that we can reach into and grow the table is that we are actually talking about things that people are curious about. And so here's this question. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Who do people actually think I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or any one of the prophets. Not a dig. It's not a dig at Jesus. It's just not a, highest, a high enough a thought of Jesus. This isn't like they're saying you're the, the 12th man on the bench. It's just saying that, you know, you're Scottie Pippen when they should be saying uh, Michael Jordan. Verse 15, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Important question. He turns the table. Jesus, in the midst of a region, in the midst of a city that is not the buckle of the Bible belt, he, he, we've said this a couple weeks in a row, he's probably in Portland, not Oklahoma City, and, and he's asking this question in a place that's named after Caesar, okay, in a place that's named after Caesar, and in a region that has many, many gods, many, many different gods that are, that are part of this culture. And so Jesus has withdrawn, which he has tended to do. It's kind of a pattern of Jesus' life to withdraw and return. We withdraw to look upon Jesus so that we can return looking more like him. And Jesus would always come back from withdrawing with the decision he's made. Uh, he'd come back choosing his disciples. He'd come back saying, okay, it's time to move on. Jesus always made decisions with the Father and then brought them back. And many of us don't take the time to withdraw. That's why we have such a tough time making decisions. And so Jesus does this into this region that has a pantheon of gods, has all this different stuff, has the name of Caesar, which was a title, not just a name. So this is the greatest representation of God on the earth is Caesar. And this is where Jesus chooses to ask, who do people say that I am and who do you say that I am? Jesus wants to know that after all this time spent with the disciples, they actually have a good idea of who he is. Because he knows what's ahead of him. He knows that he's about to die on a cross, rise again, and that things are going to change, and that he's going to ascend to the Father, and that when he does that, he wants to make sure this group of ragtag believers, these disciples, actually know, have a good answer, because they know what the other people say, but what do, you, what do you say? And I think it's a question you and I should put to ourselves. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, Simon Peter answers the question, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my 
church. Upon this rock, this rock. Everybody say this rock. That this is not like upon the rock, but upon this rock. There's something very distinct. There's something very specific. There's something very other than this rock. This rock is different. This rock is a big rock. This rock is something that is foundational, right? This is important. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the force of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. And he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. And then he moved on telling uh, the disciples what was about to come and what was going to happen. Such an important, important moment, right? Uh, and there's been a lot of different branches of the church coming out of just this one text. And we talked a couple weeks ago about the difference between Petra and Petro. And we talked about the difference between the rock that Peter is and the rock that Jesus is. So you can go back and look at those distinctions. You can look at why we believe that Jesus and the revelation of Christ is the rock, not Peter himself. One hint that Peter isn't the rock is that like a few verses later, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to the same person. So I just like, that's just one hint. But, but the idea is that Jesus, the revelation of Christ and who he is, is the foundation. It is the cornerstone. It is all that we have to build the church upon. And if we try to sort out our customs before we understand our convictions, then we will have a very tough time lasting. We cannot maintain a church built on customs if we do not have convictions about who Jesus is. And too often in our current culture wars, we've fought to save a republic and not established our convictions about who Jesus Christ is. Now, I believe absolutely that there are some overlap in what the kingdom looks like, and what, but, but, but we are a people who build this house, who build this church upon one thing and one thing only, and that's the revelation of Christ. And the Holy Spirit works. I mean, in fact, Jesus tells you this. What does Jesus tell you about the Holy Spirit? That he'd remind you of the things I've told you, right? That you, you would do greater things, that I would give you the Holy Spirit so that you would walk in power to do what? To tell people about what? Jesus Jesus understood the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to make us look more like Jesus and to share more about Jesus and to be able to be people who represent Jesus in the earth. Jesus is the rock upon which we build this church. And he makes this really big, this word, I love words that seem ordinary that have an extraordinary impact on a phrase. So when Jesus says upon this rock, that's a pretty big, this, this. This, that's a pretty big word because it's a specific word. It's saying that there is, there is this rock and there's all other kinds of rocks and this is the only one upon which the church will be built and the gates of hell will not prevail. This is the only one that you can build the church on and it can actually push back the gates of hell in the earth. See, the gates, and I know there's all kinds of different things on this, and I, I could kind of go with all of them. I tend to be a bit nuanced in the way I approach life, and so I could go with all of them. I like both and a lot more than either or in most cases. Uh, and, and, and so some people translate this a little bit differently, talk about it a little differently, but I would tell you that the gates of a city are usually what mark the center of a city. In other words, the gates were the, the, the outer edge of a city. And so when we say the gates of hell, 
Um, you can say, well, we are meant to be on the offensive, and I'm, I'm cool with that. But what it also means is that everything hell has claimed as its, everything hell has claimed ownership of, everything that evil has tried to decide is under its jurisdiction. You and I get to walk into our street, our workplace, our family, our friendships, our neighborhoods, and be the people who push back on the things that evil has tried to own. And it only happens, I'm just going to keep hitting on this, y'all. It only happens because we have a revelation of Christ. You can try it with your revelation of customs. You can try it with your revelation of traditions. You can try it with your revelation of styles. You can try it with all those things. It's not going to work. It is the revelation of Christ and Christ alone that will push back upon the gates of hell. Are you with me? And so he says this word, this, this, very distinct, this rock. Uh, Mary and I, when we got to travel, which, by the way, thank you, uh, but we got to take, what, 10, 11, 10 days, and we were in Florida, which is, um, was hot and humid, and it only, like, gets more humid as you go further east. Like, people get to Texas, and they're like, it's humid, and then I'm like, go to Florida, come back and appreciate Texas. And uh, it's just, it's, it's humid, but anyways, I remember we're flying back, and uh, we had some kind of, a little bit of a mix-up with checking in the bags, and so they sent us over to the, the Platinum or Premier, whatever it was, I don't remember, and uh, this lady's helping us, and she's got, I can't remember if she's got a handkerchief or what, but she had something on her, oh yeah, her mask, her mask, come on, it said, uh, it said, um, it said Dallas Cowboys on it, and I was like, Jesus is alive, and interceding on that, yeah, and she starts, and I, and I, at some point, because I'm always going to find something around, this is, listen, find commonality before you find the opposite. It's just, it just works better. And so, I said, man, I love that mask. And Grayson, I think, had to just have his cowboy's neck thing on that, you know, you sleep on. By the way, did you know you're not supposed to wear those backwards? You're supposed to put them in front? No, for real. Like, try it. It's so much better. Anyone ever tried to put that like that and then do this thing? It's like, what? It's terrible. So anyways, and so I, I, looked, I said, that's a cool mask. And she goes, oh, I like that pillow. That's really cool. I, I got to get me one of them. And we had two of them. So I was like, I'm a Christian. And, uh, and so I was like, $10. No, I, so I, I, said, I, said, I, said, I said, you can have it. You, it's yours. Like, take it. No, and she goes, no, 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 no. I said, no, it is yours. Take it. And Grayson's like, what are you doing right now? Like, you mess up. I said, no, 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 take it. It would be awesome. She gets all excited. She's like, and the guy next, she's, she said, look, at they gave me a pillow. And I was like, i got to carry more of these, you know. And, um, but it's weird, right, because you can find somebody out in the world. And we just did the Hall of Fame game. And we, in, in one weekend, we inducted like three, no, no, yeah, three uh, Dallas Cowboys into the Hall of Fame. Let's go. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's two years. Let's, we don't need to worry about that. Three in one weekend, and, uh, and, and, and all this stuff, and they asked Jerry Jones, hey, isn't it awesome to go into different places and see all these Cowboys fans? And, I, and it's, it is. It's awesome. And to be able to walk through places and be able to see a star on a face mask and think, we are friends. Like, you get me, and I get you, and I can see this thing blossoming. Like, that's amazing. And there's something about it, and here's what it is. Here's what it is. It is a distinct conviction that finds its, makes its way into a distinct confession, whether that be a mask or a cheer or whatever it is, that creates, ready for it, making it easy, a distinct community. 
It is the confession of Christ that creates the community around Christ. And so when Peter says, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God, he is in that moment bringing the revelation out of his heart and into his mouth because that is where things begin to shift is when our heart matches what our hands possess. So when things, things shift, when we are brave enough to take this revelation in the midst of a pantheon of gods with a guy named Caesar running the show, all kinds of things are going to shift if I say, you are the living God. If I say, you are the Messiah, all kinds of things change. All kinds of things happen. Everything is going to be different. Peter understands this. The disciples understand this. For you and I to sit here and go, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We got great music that we sing it to, and we got all the kind of stuff, is one thing. It was a whole other thing to say that this is the one we've been waiting for for centuries. And this is the one that's going to upend all the things that have been built for centuries. Now, Jesus saw it as fulfilling it, but many who were in power saw it as upending it. And Jesus comes in, and all this, and Peter goes, well, you're, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. And in that moment, he begins, he begins, he becomes the first rock in many rocks that begin to attach themselves to the cornerstone, Ephesians 2.20, that built upon the cornerstone of Christ and upon the apostles, we get added to the same structure to become a dwelling place for the Lord. Isn't that an amazing picture that you and I together, whether it be here in rows or at tables and circles, we become a dwelling place for the Lord as we come together in community with one conviction and one confession that we carry with us everywhere we go, that Jesus is the Messiah and he is the son of the living God. We are meant to be a distinct community. If the church ever loses its flavor, feel like that's somewhere in the Bible, that you and I are meant to be people and to be a people, not just a person, but a people. You know the thing that was noticed most about the church in the early years when this whole thing got started, Acts? It wasn't the individuals, it was the church. It was this community of people that lived differently together. Because see, we've always said it, you don't need the fruit of the Spirit if you ain't got friends. You don't need the fruit of the Spirit if you ain't got people and strangers and neighbors. You don't need patience if it's just you. If you had the highway all to yourself, you wouldn't need kindness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kind. These are all communal words. These are all words that have to be used as we interact with one another, and it's built on what? Jesus. And as Jesus grows in us, as we are called to, last week we talked about this, as we mature in Christ, as we grow into the one who is the foundation, the one who is the head of the church, in that we will begin to love well. And what does Paul address last week? We talked about it. Paul addressed the immaturity, and how did he measure immaturity? The way we envied one another and the way we were disunified from one another. We were divided. He goes, well, you, don't, you can't handle the, the things I want to give you because you can't even handle one another. You can't even talk to one another. You're not ready for the other stuff. He measured our maturity based upon our love for one another. That's why the cross is so significant. 
Jesus gave you the way the kingdom would infiltrate the earth. Self-sacrificial love. There's a guy riding a horse on the other side of town who thinks peace comes through war. And I'm riding in on a donkey who was also a noble beast, just a heads up. I'm riding in on a donkey, and I'm going to tell you the way peace comes is by laying down your life. And in it, you find wholeness and freedom like you've never experienced before. And so Jesus is trying to get across. I want to read this one quote to you that was written by uh, uh, a guy who kind of went back over all the different things that were written about the early church. And he began to talk about um, what, what was most noticeable about the early church. What did people see in the early church that seemed so different? It's a guy named Rodney Stark, and he, talk, he, he wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. And there's all kinds of different historians. There's a book called View That Saved the World, and it talks about the Byzantine Empire, and they were just collectors of religions and collectors of belief systems. And so they would send people out, and, and there was one person that came back from being part of and seeing the community of the church and came back and described it as beautiful. He described it as a community that seemed to love well and, and do life together and lay down their lives for one another and serve one another and share everything, and, and they were blown away by it. But I just want you to re- listen to this summation of the Christian church. Christianity served as a revitalization movement that arose in response to the misery, chaos, fear, and brutality of life in the urban Greco-Roman world. Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent problems. Come on, if you don't need to know what we're here for, we, we are here so that we can revitalize, so that we can help people cope with all kinds of different things that are happening. To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fire, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. For what they brought was not simply an urban movement, but a new culture capable of making life in Greco-Roman cities more tolerable. I mean, that's the bar, y'all. This is the distinct thing about the church. The church should bring hope where there's hurt. The church should bring love where there's hate. The church should bring a vision where there's apathy. The church should bring sacrificial love where there's nothing but pride and lust. The church should be a distinct community built on a distinct confession because of a distinct Savior. Now, I'm going to do this part quickly because it's definitely not been 10 minutes, but I want to hit just very quickly, and maybe we'll dig into this more next week. There were two things Peter said. Sometimes we just tend to think that they're the same thing. And Peter says to Jesus, he says, you are what? The Messiah and the Son of the living God. Those are not the same thing. How many of you realize that Jesus Christ, Christ is not a name, it's a title. Christ is not a name, it's a title. It's, it's a designation. In fact, you would see this word used in the Old Testament over certain prophets and certain things. Christ, it actually means anointed one. It means Messiah. So when you read Jesus 
Christ in Scripture. You're not, you're reading his name that comes along with his title. They were calling him Jesus Christ because he was the one they had been waiting for. And Jesus Christ, the title, the name, this was such an important thing because there was one who sat on a throne named Caesar who also held a title. And both were competing for ruling and reigning in the earth. They were both competing, but Jesus was doing it in a very different way. He was not doing it in a political way. He was not doing it in a military way. He was doing it in a very different grassroots way where he was doing it around community, around people, around laying down your life, around healing, around walking the streets that others wouldn't walk down, around doing all, sitting around the table with all kinds of different people. Jesus was the Christ, the Savior. He was the one that they had been waiting for. It was a title given to him, supreme and sufficient. We find him, and it was in complete opposition to the title of Caesar. And then Peter said this, son of the living God. Now on, on, on Messiah, you can see Christ, you can see all kinds of different names mentioned in other translations, all kinds of different translations, all meaning pretty much the same one, anointed one, Messiah, Christ, you can see all of that. If you go and look at all the translations for son of the living God, that's all you're going to find. Son of the living, there was no better way to say son of the living God. So what we're having here is Christ is this title that's pushing back against the systems of this world. But then there's this other one that took him into this place that was very different. The son of the living God meant, wait, there is, there is something otherworldly about you. There, there is something that says that in you I find a deity. In you I find a God. In you I find something that goes beyond what I can even explain on this earth. You do not exist just here. We read this last week out of Colossians, right? In him is the fullness of the nature of God. And that fullness has now filled you, his church. Paul, Peter was saying, wait, wait, you, yes, you're Christ, the one we've been waiting for. But you're also the God who created all of who we are. You, you are, one author says that Jesus is the face of God. Jesus is the greatest representation of God on the earth. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. That he was taking Jesus into a whole other realm. That Jesus was not going to be held back by what this earth could do, but in fact was going to bring into this earth something only Jesus could bring. One interesting note about Jesus is that uh, he came from heaven and went back to it. In most other religions... The leader of that religion or that prophet went to heaven and came back. Jesus was always a, a stranger in the earth in the sense that it was not his final resting place. Jesus showed up to say, hey, I am giving you a picture of what humanity looks like. I'm giving you a picture of what it is to live life on this earth. And I'm going back to the Father and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to begin to work things in you, shape you and change you and create a community that has a distinct nature, has a distinct confession that no other God, no other name, no other ideology, no other belief system, no other worldview can provide that you are not defined by anything other than Jesus. What a freeing thing to know. Amen? Let us be a church that has a distinct flavor. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you that you are full of hope.
and life and joy. I thank you that you are right now in this moment with us. You have not left us. You've not forsaken us. You have not stepped away. We have not done anything uh, that would make you leave. We've not done anything that would make you bail. Your love is big enough, it's great enough, and it's full enough. God, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. God, I pray that today, right now, some of us have allowed the the belief systems of the world, some of us have allowed the things around us to define who we are. And we find ourselves fitting in really well. But in the deepest parts of us, we know that's not who I am. We're not trying to be different for different sake. We're trying to be a new normal. We're trying to give a new narrative. We're trying to give a better story. We're trying to bring into the earth a confession of Jesus that would create in us a distinct community where people are hurting, we are helping. Where people are broken, we're bringing healing. Where hell is trying to establish its gates, we are bringing heaven with us. Right now around the room today, some of you going, I want to know the one who makes all things new, who creates in my life a distinct difference, something that no one else can do. The Messiah, the one I've been waiting for, the Son of the living God, the one who is able and has been and will be. I just want to pray this prayer, and if you want to pray this in your own words right now, short prayer, nothing elaborate, you want to walk with Jesus and follow Jesus and begin to live a distinct life in a world that needs people to live differently. God will heal, bring hope, bring love and grace to you. Why don't you pray this in your own words? You can pray it out loud. You can pray it quietly, however you want to do it. But Lord, I surrender my life to you. God, I surrender my life to you. All my past, all my failures, all my sin, all my mistakes. I surrender all things to you. And today, I pray that you bring a new life into my world, bring a new story into my heart. I pray that today I would begin to walk with a very distinct confession, and that the things that are against me would not prosper, would not be successful, because I'm in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.